0: So let's talk for a minute about self-care. Self-care is not my favorite label, mostly because it seems contrived and it never seems like the suggestions are enough for the stress that they're supposedly alleviating. This is especially the case for helpers. We're working 12 plus hour days, we haven't peed for 10 of them, we're totally exhausted and on the verge of tears and a bubble bath is supposed to do something. What is this magic bubble bath? Does it exist? I don't really think that cuts it, but if we examine caring for the self from another angle, specifically a creative angle, more specifically, that drive to express ourselves and connect to our humanity in creation, in flow, in exploration, this is something we all have in one way or another, and so often helpers just lose touch with this part of ourselves because we aren't able to prioritize it. We neglect it until we forget it exists and then it stops existing, and we become workaholics, (laughs) and there it is. my friend Josh Alvarez on the show because he truly is a wizard, really. He has somehow been able to sustain a difficult job on a psych unit for 18 years, 18 years, (laughs) by prioritizing and capitalizing on the energy he gleans from his creative practices, most often music, but also podcasting. He writes on breaks at work, he actively performs in multiple bands while holding down his job, and, like, successful ones. I- I- appear he's kind of a little famous. I don't know. I didn't know this, but it's true. Um, <laughs> he is miraculous, and I think his approach, his style of recharging via creative endeavor, is worth emulating. So here's my talk with Josh about how in his pursuit of creativity and good work, one cannot exist without the other. This is, this is my friend first and foremost but uh this is also a fellow helper and musician and podcaster and a whole smorgasbord of things josh alvarez (laughs) um yeah so josh can you tell a little bit about first kind of who are you as a helper so what kind of work do you do
1: what kind of work do i do i work i'm a mental health technician on a acute inpatient psychiatric unit at Temple Episcopal in North Philadelphia at Front and Lehigh and um, I basically help facilitate the running of the day and uh, I help with uh, just maintaining a therapeutic milieu with like everybody there I don't really know how to pronounce that word I just try to make sure that uh, everybody is doing okay and nobody gets into fights or any other type of uh, ridiculous things as we help them along their way to Getting to a medical regiment, like a medicine regiment that's therapeutic for them, and like you know, facilitating groups and stuff to help them along. So that's what I do. I basically take care of people.
0: Yeah. How long have you been doing which,
1: that? Um, we are entering year eighteen of this, so it's been uh, it's been a while. But um, it's not the worst job I've ever had. It's it's been fun. I mean, I've worked with pretty much the same people this entire time. And um, it's not a bad gig, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what's your history in the helping professions? Have you always been a helper? Did you start out doing something else?
1: No, I went to school to be a high school teacher. And then when I moved to Philadelphia from North Jersey, I didn't want to teach anymore because the thing that they don't teach you in high school teacher school is that children... Are terrible, And I was like, yo, I would much rather deal with psychotic people of North Philadelphia than children. So I moved to Philadelphia and I was just like, I don't want to teach. And um, this job opened up and I got it. And then I've not stopped. I mean, it was funny because at first it was really uh, it was a good job for like as far as like the money goes and as far as like being able to do other things. So it was a job that I could work 40 hours a week while still getting off work early enough to do band stuff and movie stuff and all the other ephemera that builds up to be my life, you know what I mean? So I mean, hey, plus I didn't have to wear <laughs> right. a necktie and stuff, so that was pretty cool. And like they don't well, give a shit that... about me having tattoos, so I was okay with that too. And I mean I Oh no. That's it. That's the end of the story. I wish I had something more interesting to tell you, Dana. Like, oh, yes, the deceased spirit of a disgraced kung fu master came and spoke to me in a dream. But no, I don't have any story other than like, yeah, man, it was cool. I could get out in time to make it to practice. And that was pretty dope. So, you yeah. know,
0: mm-hmm. winner, winner. Yeah, but I also I mean, I ha- I know that you are also a person who in your personal life is very dedicated to kind of helping and serving others. So it's not just that you kind of fell into whatever sort of job. It seems, like, it seems like from an outsider perspective that the work that you chose is at least somewhat fitting and suitable to you and intentional in terms of what kind of person you are and, and wanting to be of service in some way.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely like helping people. Here's the thing, Dana. I try to live my life with as little angles as possible. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like when people do things for, like, other things. I like direct roots. And I like the simplicity of intent, right? Like, so, I really like helping people. And I needed a job where I could do that. So, I did it. You know what I mean? Like, that's... I don't don't like when people, like, have all these, like, ulterior motives and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that i don't believe in ambition or anything like that but it's like when you do a favor with the hopes of having a favor done in return versus doing something because you know it's right and i like to try to do things because i know that they're right
0: and you manage to pull that off while still being able to have this like very rich personal life so that's the other end that i wanted to hear about is kind of who are you personally and you mentioned like music and your podcasting so your other varied interests and your involvement in those like say a little bit about that
1: well i am the world ignored humble rock star of philadelphia that uh you know i am uh it's funny someone i was talking to a friend about this the other day and he was just like yeah, that guy's like the Josh Alvarez of New York City. And I was like, what do you mean? Is he bald? And he was like, no, just like everybody kind of knows him. And he like, it was in every band. And um, despite being, I mean, I, I don't know if I was in every band. I was definitely in all the bands that nobody cares about. That's like my move. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, you're not going to like this. Let's do this full time and have this be my band. So I'm that guy. And um, I also have a weird talent. As, you know, people who are like us happen to have, when I end up knowing a bunch of people in different arenas. I'm sure this is the same with you, Dana, right? Like, you're the same way. Like, you know, a bunch of people from different walks of life kind of thing that would, like, help other people that don't know about each other. So we end up being, like, the plug that, like, helps people connect with other people that can help communal goals be accomplished.
0: Sure, sure. Right.
1: Yeah, so I got that thing going for me, too, where it's like, with CinePunks, like, I, well, Um, friend of the show, friend of the show, Liam O'Donnell, who is my hero, (laughs) uh, has been my my partner for the CinePunks podcast, where we discuss uh, movie culture and kind of sort of punk rock culture in the Philadelphia region, which is now just a movie show, and it's not just about Philadelphia, because Liam has moved to Chicago. But, um, yeah, so I've been doing that for, we're coming up on six years of that.
0: Oh my god. So,
1: you know. I know. I know, Dana. It's so long. I'm so old. That's amazing. I'm staring down the mean side of 50 as opposed to 30, and that really, really uh, terrifies me. But it's no. cool, man. I mean, hey. <laughs> you know?
0: That, that occurred uh, to me as well the other day, and I was like, oh wow, that's...
1: That's yeah. serious. I don't know. We were talking about, I was I was having a chat with my uh, bandmates in a, a band I sing for called The Cross Keys. And we were like, yo, do you think like the people who like us before COVID are going to still like us? Because they're going to be old by the time we get out of this whole thing. <laughs> I was just like, yo, what about us? We're going to be old. <laughs> like, fuck those guys. <laughs> like shit, man. <laughs> but I'm cool with it. You know, it's not, eh, I don't know. So yeah, so I'm a singer, uh, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, and I play all of these multi-instruments poorly, and uh, I'm a movie critique. (laughs) That's what I do, man. That's what I do.
0: And you're in how many bands now? How many bands are you currently in?
1: Currently in three. Not counting the solo career, so four total. So, yeah, no. It's a lot of fun, though. And I'm married to the best lady in the world. And so.
0: you're Right, and you're married, and you seem to be able to go out with your beautiful wife, Melani, on a fairly consistent basis, somehow. It-
1: we do the best that we can. It's been, I mean, with COVID and everything, it's been kind of difficult finding places where we can dine outside, or places that are like, uh, nobody is there anyway. And thankfully, we uh, enjoy things that most people dislike, so, you know not a hard thing to find like oh wow nobody likes this like movie food whatever have you and we're the only people here (laughs) happens all the time so you know yeah it's pretty cool it's funny because like melani is uh i don't know if you know dana melani is better at everything in life than i am except for the manipulation of stringed instruments to which she has never taken lessons and can't play a guitar or ukulele that's the only thing i got that's all i got and, um, yeah, she also has, like, this, uh, unbridled spirit of adventure, so she always wants to, like, do crazy things, you know? And, um, we always end up doing all this wild stuff, and it's super fun, it's been very- I mean, August will be our seven-year anniversary, so I've been married to Milani just a little bit longer than I've been doing CinePunk, so that's pretty cool, you wow. know? Wow,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Great, okay, so- take- So, yeah thinking about all those things right because the reason that I wanted to even talk to you on my podcast is it's I think it's very striking that you have so you have this commitment to helping work you've been doing it for 18 years um Mm -hmm. professionally and then also personally I see you as a person that's very committed to sort of helping and serving other people but you also have this ability to kind of like create more time than exists to like <laughs> to put time and energy to invest in yourself and your music and your passions and projects. And I feel like there's for helpers, so often we kind of forego our own interests and passions because helping work is so, it, it just swallows you up or it's so demanding on emotions um, or on our time. So ha- what is the magic that you work? that you are able to do all of these things in seemingly the same amount of time that the rest of us have, but like (laughs) manage all of it.
1: Well, do you ever, I I don't know about your college experience, but for me, I became very heavily involved in uh, clubs and extracurricular things. And it was all because, you know, I was broke and those clubs had food so we'd have these weekly meetings for per club, and they'd have food, and I'd eat. <laughs> and then it was cool. You know what I mean? Like, I still got to do, like, when I was in college, I, I did a lot of, like, I was on on the executive board for, like, the university activities board. So we had to, like, book the homecoming concert and all that stuff. And then, like, I also did, like, just a lot of, like, student, not Greek life, because, you know, I don't know anything about sports. But, like, I did just a lot of, like, on-campus stuff. Like, I was an RA. I was, like, I, I just helped with a lot of housing stuff and so on and so forth. Like, this kind of thing. And I think the most important lesson that I learned is that nobody is ever just one thing. Right? Like, you can always, I'm not saying, like, multitask and do things at half skill or whatever. But there's always parts. I'll explain it also like this. In my favorite movies, there are things that I hate. And in movies that I absolutely detest, there are things I can find appealing. And uh, I think the secret to um, the fulfilling life that I've managed to build for myself is that I've hybridized the act of creating with the act of compassion and care. So, for example, like currently, I can't have band practice because that I can't I don't want to be in a room with my peoples you know what I mean because I don't want to be the reason that they get sick or bring it to their families so on so forth so I don't want to do that but given that I can't fully express myself in ways that would make working on an acute inpatient psych unit for 40 hours a week um a little bit less strenuous on my emotional self you know what I'm saying so like when one suffers so does the other and uh conversely the same is true when one is beautiful and when one is growing then so is the capacity for the other and i think that that's always been the secret you know what i mean like any job i've ever had has always had downtime right like i've never had a moment at any job that i've had that didn't have like at least like maybe like some time to just like like set up and stuff or whatever. And I typically try to use those times to indulge in writing or like just thinking about what it is that I have to do in order to get whatever done, done. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's the thing. Also time management, which I am terrible at, like ridiculously <laughs> awful at, but that I can't never, be true, it's true. I'm so bad. Ask Liam. He'll tell you. <laughs> it's tragic but i mean it's not so much the fact that i'm bad at it but it's more so the fact that i don't give up on trying to curb it you know what i mean like i don't give up on trying to be like okay well if you get to this at this point then you can do that at that point like that kind of thing it very seldom comes to fruition the way i plan it i'll put that out there for the record but that said it does come together a lot of times and when it does it's pretty dope
0: right well I love I love that when one suffers, so does the other. And then when one is in a, in a in a space of growth, so is the other in terms of your uh, your work and, and your compassion as well as your focus on creativity and generativity. That's so interesting because I think, so much. When I kind of
1: feel like everybody does that, right? Isn't that well, what no,
0: don't know? No, I don't think everybody does. Like for for instance, just thinking about reflecting on myself as a helper, so much of what I have to do to maintain my emotional well being is to stop. Like, um, creativity isn't very is very important for me, but it's still output. So if I'm mm-hmm. seeing, you know. 5 clients in a day, which I know doesn't sound like very many, but for me it is. Um and mm-hmm. then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for 2 hours. That's 7 hours of output. You know, so mm-hmm. so the creative work for me still feels like I'm giving something even though I'm in, I'm investing in some other part of myself that is important and meaningful. I, the regeneration needs to come in a different way. And it sounds like for you the experience within your creative space is not only it um it's like you know it's it's regenerative it's restorative for you
1: it is it is but it's also it's also exhausting i go to sleep at like nine thirty every night <laughs> i don't know if you know that but i mean dude it's one of those things where it's like the black hand of sleep just comes and grabs me <laughs> And then I'm gone, and that's that. There's no talking, you know what I mean? Like, it's over. And then, like, I wake up at 5 o'clock every morning just because if I don't do that, then I won't have a chance. Like, I run every morning now just because, oh you know, God. I got to try and try and do something healthy, you know, other than, like, just regular whatever. So I figure go to sleep at, like, 9.30, 10 o'clock every night, wake up at 5, run till 6, and then like right from six to 6.45, just whatever. And then seven o'clock work till three thirty. And then, you know. Typically when it's like not COVID time, Melani is at work. So she doesn't get home till like seven normally. So that also ensures me like a good four hours of like guitar time by myself with George, like just at the house. You know what I mean? So like and that's George pretty George is your cool adorable too. little
0: little doggy.
1: Yes, George is my uh George is my co pilot. And uh he is my my Chihuahua named George A. Romero. He's the best. He's also best friends with Dana, so we're, we're, yeah, very, no.
0: we're very close. Um, Just saying,
1: he asks about you every single.
0: So <laughs> I I yeah, I want to know about him also. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so let me set this scene for you. I was 35 years old, working at a residential program 50 plus hours a week, making less than $50,000 a year on public service loan forgiveness with nine years to go, two graduate degrees to pay for that totaled $101,000. I watched my interest accrue as I made minimum payments until my balance hit $121,000. I felt terrified, anxious, unwell, and I was sure that I couldn't stick it out to have my loans forgiven without having a mental breakdown. Do you relate to this story at all? Then I have a program for you. So I have a four week group intensive program rolling out in January 2021 that will identify your stuck points and create an individualized plan for you to get out of student debt so you can be financially free. You'll work with me and a small group of like-minded individuals to follow the process that I did to pay off all my debts in a few years while increasing my income and cultivating a more satisfying career and lifestyle. Do you wanna learn more? Visit my website at danabellateer.com and check out the Help Yourself Group Intensive. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. No one who listens to this is going to believe that you have time management problems, given what you just just described. Because, I I mean, that's just, that takes such a great deal of discipline to be like, I wake up at five and then I run. And like, one of the things I was going to ask you is, okay, outside of this whole creative endeavor, that you really are intentional about what do you do to take care of yourself so obviously you have like physical stuff you do it sounds like with the bedtime and the running in addition to all these other things yeah
1: yeah the bedtime's actually been pretty cool because it's like i've been uh melani suggested that we try melatonin because she saw it on queer eye for the straight guy or whatever so we did (laughs) we've been eating it every night it's fucking awesome man like it's really really cool that's because it's like, you ever just get the sleep where you wake up and you feel like, you know, you just like did something awesome. You're like, whoa, like you just had like an amazing meal, like that kind of feeling. Like, that's how I feel in the morning now. It's great. Now, granted, my Nintendo skills are down. That's the thing, right? <laughs> like me and Melani enjoy Nintendo Switch and we play each other in like Mario Kart and just whatever bullshit games, you know. But my skills are way low because I haven't been able to play my Nintendo Switch very often because you know that happens at night sleep i'm just dead you know so that's just what it is but you know not the worst thing just saying oh my
0: gosh do you feel do you feel well balanced like do you feel like on a day-to-day basis that things are generally in balance for you
1: absolutely not Only because I talk to normal people that don't punish themselves in this way and they seem way happier okay, or at so, least content <laughs> with things. You know what I mean? Say, like,
0: Say more about that. So what do you mean?
1: The reason that there's so much stuff is because I have this undying need to make stuff. You understand? So it's like. As the breadth of my musical taste is, so would I like the breadth of my musical output. So it's not like I do this because it's fun. And it is fun. Don't get it twisted. I'm not getting any money or anything for it. But I do it because it's like, yo, you could totally do that. And then when I have that thought, if I don't do it, I feel like I'm cheating myself. Mm. Whereas everybody else just exists. And they punch the clock. And then they punch it again. And then they go home. And then that's it. Till tomorrow. See you tomorrow. But me, I'm just like, all right, man. It's like when I used to smoke cigarettes and say to myself, like, okay, you can smoke one cigarette in ten minutes. That would mean it would take you this many hours to smoke this many cigarettes and so get to work. Like, that kind of feeling. And uh, it's an addiction of the same sort. Wherein it's like, okay, you have this kind of time and this is the kind of budget you have for this kind of recording. You better get it done. And that's it. So... I kind of think that people that don't have these, like, horrible hobby things can just hang out, <laughs> and it's totally cool. I cannot. It's not a thing in me.
0: Well, I, I think that a lot of the time people, people have a desire to, like, they'll have the same ideas, right? I could do this. I want to do this. This is something that a part of me really feels passionate about. Um, but they don't take the steps to fulfill that you know and not that's nothing I mean no judgment on that whatsoever so I think people that work within our the helping professions within our fields there's just there's only so much um you know what is it like so many spoons you can give (laughs) and then like Mm -hmm. you're all out of spoons like and so we just kind of have to see well I guess you know if I gave away all my spoons today with work um Mm there's just, that's it. And then I'm going to come home and I'm going to stare at the TV for four hours. Again, no judgment. Sometimes we have to do that. But, but where I think that you are kind of inspiring and, and interesting is you (laughs) don't like you come home having, clearly your job is not easy. Like your job, obviously you need some kind of like emotional resilience to perform that on a day-to-day basis. And then you still go home and you make not just, like, a little bit, like, ample space for these other things that are important to you. I think that's so impressive.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Dana. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it's like, I don't ever think about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just how life is. And it's like it's like making time to watch movies. You know what I mean? Like, um, in order to have time to watch, like, a three-hour movie you got to make sure that you have those three hours to take it in. You know what I mean? And it's like, especially with like certain movies where I'm just like, man, I don't know if I'm going to like it after three hours. Like, uh, I watched, uh, what was this one movie? Um, that Knight N- of cups or whatever, that freaking Terrence Malick movie before the last one. And it was long as hell. And I was watching it and I was like, all right, we're just going to do it. And then at the end of it, I was like, well, that was a horrible waste of three hours. <laughs> It's like, it's just those kinds of things like get to me, you know what I mean? Like, well, if we're going to go for it, like, here's the other thing. Like I miss a lot, you know what I mean? Like I have full records that we've recorded vocals and everything in an actual studio that we paid money for that just never got released because of whatever reason or whatever, like X, Y, and Z. Most times it's because someone in the band didn't like it and then we didn't, go back to fix it or someone moved or someone had a kid or whatever else, you know what I mean? So for as much as the stuff that actually makes it to the surface, there is so much stuff that does not, you know? And it's like, that's just, that's just part and parcel of the, the joy of exploration, right? Like you're going to watch this movie and you might like it, but you also might not. And if it was the kind of thing where you knew you were going to like it, it almost doesn't feel like a worthy endeavor. Like that, possibility and that like um just the chance the 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 fact that there's stakes involved i think that's what makes life interesting especially as a person in the helping profession because you know all these stories don't end well you know what i mean like all these people come and they need help and some of them get it but some of them don't and a lot of times you know If it were the kind of thing where you could just autopilot your way through, you just, you know, punch the clock, play with the keyboard, whatever. I don't know what, like, that's like, you know what I mean? Like, that would be a completely different thing, but every day is always this cross section between the possibility of, like, somebody getting to a point where they get better and don't have to be on an inpatient unit or they're just too sick and they can't leave. You know what I mean? And like we have patients sometimes that end up stuck on an acute unit because there's something like 75 um extended acute beds in the city. You know what I mean? So it's like then they got to wait for months until one of those beds open up, you know? And so what am I supposed to do with that guy? You know, like okay, well, you're going to be here for at least the next 6 months. And you're gonna watch everybody leave within five to seven days because on an acute unit—that's the length of a treatment plan. Typically, so like then what you know? So like I don't know. There's like there's always this balance at play. I don't know if that makes any sense or whatever. And also, I did just get out of work, so it's on my mind. But um, it's just like what the like without these sweeping risks, I just kind of feel like in music in movies and in work as a compassionate caregiver or whatever it's that risk that you have that's the that's the emotional crux of all of it right like that's where the work goes that's where the stuff that isn't this joyful ebullient discovery of life is you know like okay i'm gonna go in tomorrow and this dude who punched me yesterday i'm gonna try and help him you know what i mean like that sucks that's the worst part and um I can't lie. I'm not a Superman or anything like that. Like when someone spits in my face, especially now with COVID and all this stuff, like you can't help but take that as like, yo, man, like I'm coming to work every day trying to help people and you're out here like spitting and all this stuff because of whatever mental illness that you have. But I'm supposed to keep smiling through all this. I'm supposed to try and stay helpful. And it's not easy. That's the hardest part of my day every day.
0: Right. Right. Of course. Of course, but you know,
1: perspective, man. You just got to like that's just whenever. Like, I also do staff training for the crisis prevention class at the hospital, and uh, I have to teach like personal safety technique, but also things like restraint technique and all that other stuff. And you know, like in my in acute psych units, you have somebody that goes off, and then you have to restrain them to a bed. So I have to teach people how to do that appropriately and without hurting anybody, and all this other stuff. And, you know, we always get new people coming in that are like, well, if someone punches me, I'm punching him back in the face. And I'm just like, dog, like, you can do that if you want to. But I'm telling you right now, like, that's not going to help anybody. And if anything, it's just going to get you fired. So if you don't need this job, I don't know why you're here in the first place anyway, you know. But also, when I teach the restraint portion, I tell them when somebody's in four-point restraints to a restraint bed, the only thing that they have any control over at that point is what they say. And whether or not they choose to spit on you. Oh my god. And I was like, dude, that's the rawest element of humanity. Like, that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's son, that's somebody's, like, brother or sister or whatever else. You know what I mean? And that, there's somebody that actually gives a shit about that person. And at that point, it's your choice as the clinician as to what the outcome's going to be. So like, that's the kind of thing that I go into it thinking about every day, which, you know, some days it seems a little grandiose, but also it's the reality of the situation, right? Like, that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with someone that someone out there loves more than life itself, but are just too far gone, you know, and need outside people to intervene. And that's, that's horrible. I couldn't imagine Loving somebody like my brother or like Liam or whatever, and not being able to help them. So at that point, it's the job of the clinician. It's a go- it's a job of the caregiver to give that help. So, you know, I try to be up to the task every day.
0: Wow, yeah, I think you have an incredible zest for life, because ah, I, I, cool. I I do. because i i I think that there are many ways that somebody could describe that kind of work and the way that you even just put that was was thoughtful and um generous and you know kind of coming from a place of just trying to see what you're doing is as truly something important and meaningful which it is um, but like you said, you know, going through and getting spit on or whatever on a day-to-day basis is going to wear that down <laughs> over yeah, time. No, I sucks, mean, that's man. why people get burned out, right? Because initially they're like, I just really want to help this person. And then after having that experience every day for three years, um, it's hard to still wake up and care. So knowing that that's yeah. something that you've done and we're talking about going on like 20 years of work that you've been doing this, um, there's something that's keeping you able to engage in the same way that that's keeping you from burning out and maybe that is you're being plugged in so um intentionally to these creative pieces of your life and the adventures in your life
1: yeah it's funny when you conflate those two things though because you realize like oh yeah that's why i like violent music because the rest of my life is widely erratic
0: right <laughs> and
1: uh that's why i have to listen to music of like people screaming like their nuts are on fire but you know <laughs> it's you can't choose it sometimes you know what i mean sometimes it just chooses you so there you are but you know i don't know
0: well, one other... again it's like oh go ahead what'd you say well i wanted to ask you you had you had said to me or or over a text exchange or something at one time that you you no longer are a believer in guilt, um, or you no longer like accept guilt for yourself. And I think w I'm I think that's another important component of what you do too, because I think that, you know, I mentioned that we sometimes it's too exhausting to try to meet all these mm-hmm. other parts of us that need attention. But I think there's also sometimes a guilt there. Um, that, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, well, I could take this extra hour to be here doing this important thing on the unit or whatever the case. Cause you know, people will like work 12, 14 hours. I don't know if that ever comes up for oh, you, yeah. but that's come up in plenty of jobs I've done where it's like, you could just live there. Like the, the mm. list doesn't end. So it's like, or I could, I could do that. Or I could go home and spend that hour with George making a song. I think that for a lot of people, there might be a guilt element there. And I, I wanted to just hear a little bit about what you think uh, your rejection of guilt (laughs) and how that works
1: for you. It's kind of like, it's not so much the rejection of guilt, but more so the rejection of the source of the guilt, right? Like it's a rejection of like this concept. That somebody else or some external force puts on you that you need to do this instead of that. Whereas it's like the difference between a mindset of poverty versus a mindset of abundance, right? Like in a lot of places, like people like feel like, Oh, well, you know, if not this, then there'll be an absence of this. Whereas if you think abundantly, you're like, no, this is what I have. And how that gets used is completely up to me. Right? Like, so as far as, like, guilt, for I'll give you an actual real-time example. Um, You know how it is in, like, uh, in psych units during the summertime? It's cold. It's super cold because a lot of times you get a lot of people that come directly off of the street that go through the crisis response center and then end up on the psych unit. And if the temperature isn't kept at, like, a relatively lower um, degree, then uh, things like germs and all this other stuff have a lot more chances to germinate and all that stuff. So they keep it purposefully at like a little bit lower than normal. And so, you know, we're, we're operating at like generally a little bit colder in the summertime, right? Like that's how it is in the hospital. And so um, a lot of times they will get patients that'll be like, hey, Mr. Josh, can I have like, do you have any extra clothes I can wear so, you know, I won't I won't be cold at night and stuff like this. A lot of the times, you know, I have a lot of extra clothing because I've recently lost a a little bit of weight. So I have all these like extra bigger clothes that I've just been trying to either sell or just get rid of. And I'll tell people like, hey, man, like, you know, I get it. It gets a little cold here at night. I'm going to bring something in for you tomorrow. And uh, you could just you could just keep it. It's fine. But then sometimes I'll forget because you know how it is in the morning, like you're doing a thousand things and you just got to get to work on time and so on and so forth. So I get there and I don't have like an article of clothing that I had promised this person the day before. And they'll come up to me and they'll be like, Josh, did you bring it? I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. And a lot of times people will feel real bad. And that makes me as a person that gives a shit about people feel terrible, but also It's like, yo, man, I'll bring it tomorrow. Like, it'll be fine. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I'm going to help you. And I know that I'm going to help you. And it might not be like, you know, at this at the time that I had hoped it would be. But nothing is promised. So, you know, you can do the best that you can. And if you fuck up and you feel bad about it, then that's just not going to help that person any further. You know what I mean? So, like, at that point, like, look, man, I got it. But I'm also like, I'm going to do the best that I can. But sometimes I'll forget shit. And that just happens. You know what I mean? And if that's what it is, then that's what it is. But you'll still get something from me. And I promise you, like, I won't perpetually forget it. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the difference, right? Like, I can't feel guilty by not being able to help everybody. But I can promise to myself that I will do my best at every opportunity. So there's no point in feeling guilty about it. Because, I don't know, the days keep coming, man. Like, you're always going to have a chance. And I know that might be short-sighted and naive or whatever, but it's also the truth. You're, there's There hasn't been any one thing that's happened at work that I'm like, oh, I'm never coming back from that. And it's been 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, so just do your best.
0: Then leads me to kind of my last question, which is, so if you were going to give advice to someone who was like a you know 23 year old in the helping professions that is desperate to like I don't know be in three bands like you four bands like you and wanting to like express themselves musically and want to you know but just is totally not not able or feeling able to make the space for that in their life um, or just kind of overwhelmed by what's happening with them in, t- in terms of the work that they do, like I think a lot of people are, what kind of advice mm-hmm. would you give to helpers that want to pursue these creative endeavors um, but just don't feel like they have the bandwidth to do it?
1: Um, I'll tell you that at the beginning of my career in mental health, a lot of people that were mentoring me had this bit of advice, which was, you know, you can care, but always make sure that you protect your heart because that's the way people can hurt you. And after 20 years, I can honestly say that the only way I've managed to protect myself and the only way I've managed to stay vital as an artist as a lyricist and just as a person who champions things like art and movies and stuff, the only thing that's kept me safe and vital this whole time is trusting my heart. And that's, that's all I got that like that honesty and that openness. People will tell you that that's a fault, that that's a risk or a detriment to your caregiving life, and your creative process. And I can honestly, with my entire heart, tell you that unless you're willing to put those things out from your heart, then nothing you do is going to be worth your time. Mm. I'm not saying that every single thing you do with your whole heart is going to be worth time, because Lord knows... I've made a lot of bad songs, like really, really bad songs. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit. Like, I'll read stuff. I'm like, was I drunk? Did I write this when I was high? Like, what the fuck? But honestly, like an open heart is the strongest muscle you have at your disposal. And for the sake of self-preservation, if you curb that, then you're cutting off your source of strength and your source of compassion. So my advice to somebody wanting to go on that quest is to find ways to keep your heart open despite the entire world telling you that it's safer to keep it shut. And that's what makes a true compassionate person, that's what makes a true artist that's what makes, you know, a good person. Mhm.
0: That's awesome. Thank you, Josh. That's so helpful. Does that make I sense? That. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it totally makes sense.
1: <laughs> that was just but, on the free. That was off the top of the dome, so I don't is, know, you know. There
0: it is. Yeah. But, I, if you
1: ask me tomorrow, I might have a different answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Protecting your heart and keeping it open and and expressing the things that are important to you and not letting it get that get closed off because then you won't be able to you won't be able to take care of yourself or anybody else that way so yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i think that was i mean like that's the thing
1: right like protecting your heart is easy and like i said before like without that element of risk without taking that chance it just doesn't sound right you know what i mean like I don't know, man. Like, I think about it a lot when, um, you know, at the end of every RuPaul Drag Race episode, RuPaul asks the girls. And let me just say, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else? Can I get an <laughs> amen? I'm like, yo, man, I feel that shit. Mama Ru, I hear you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to try. But that's the only way you can do it
0: that's our show thank you so much to josh alvarez for more from him you can search his band cross keys philadelphia find him on the cinepunks podcast and at pogey Fatboy on instagram for more from me you can check me out at danabellateer.com um, or follow the help for the helpers facebook page thank you so much to liam o'donnell who edits and produces the show and to rocco misco for the music see you next week
1: You're very inspiring and welcome to the to the family. Are, is this gonna be a Cinepunk show?
0: <laughs> Liam's actually producing this show for me. Uh, but I can't imagine this would be a Cinepunk show. I don't know where that would fit into that space. I think it's a little bit, a little bit of something else.
1: But uh... I mean, I don't know, man. The brand is branching. I'd be I'd be happy to have you in the fam, because then, you know, you don't have to pay for shirts. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: shirts now i have between horror business and cinepunks i have like 10 new shirts but uh
1: oh man it's great (laughs) liam is the best enabler for t-shirt collection (laughs) (laughs) it's horrible oh it's lovely i love it so much (laughs) oh my
0: god so okay so if people want to learn more about you and your all your music and cinepunks and all those things where is the best place for people to find you um, or places
1: I guess Cross Keys is my band so if you search Cross Keys Philadelphia not the Las Vegas one that stopped being a band in 2014 I might add um, you can look for that on the internets internet uh, CinePunks.com C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X dot com and uh, I'm on the Twitters as uh, at PogiFatboy P-O-G-I-F-A-T-B-O-Y and um I don't know, just social media. I'm pretty easy to find, wouldn't you think, Dana? Like,
0: yeah, you're like know. everywhere.
1: <laughs> well, so, see, but yes. that's the thing. Like Liam was like, you gotta, because I went, I went private on my uh, Twitter feed one time, and Liam's like, you can't go dark, man. You gotta stay open. I was like, all right. Well, if Liam tells me to do it, then I'm gonna do it. That's just what that is. So you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. It's just, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, and we need people to, people should check out the music that you're doing. So then when COVID is over and you start actually doing shows again, we can all come see you play.
1: Yeah, I also took a class in uh, improv comedy. So God willing, should COVID clear up, I still have a final class recital in improv comedy that's going to happen. So you guys are all welcome to do that, too. Bring tomatoes to throw, because I can Uh, guarantee it probably won't be very funny.
0: You're like the bravest uh, person alive for that. That is so terrifying.
1: (laughs) 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 It is unbelievable, Dana. Unbelievable. I'm just saying. Just saying.
0: Well, thank you for taking time, Josh. I so appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for interviewing me. Yeah. it's always cooler when i'm on a podcast that isn't mine because then i get to brag to andrew and then i'm like yo man i got invited to be on a podcast it's cool <laughs> like it's just really funny you know what i mean so just saying i don't know
0: yeah no anyway. i think i think people will be really interested in what you're doing honestly because i i i know you think that people are doing that but they aren't <laughs> that it's I, funny a lot I, of people this are thing not where
1: it's like when i don't when i when Like, I have this like existentialist dilemma when I think about creative output. Like, half the time I'm like, well, no one gives a shit about what I'm doing. So I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. And then all this stuff happens. And then the other time I'm like, well, no one gives a shit what I'm doing. So I'm not doing shit. And then nothing happens. So it's like somewhere (laughs) between those two things. But yeah, man, you know, you're the best, Dana. I love you. I love talking to you. It's always fun. And uh, I'm really happy we're friends.
0: Me too. So let's,
1: let's let's stop there.